This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth. Hey, welcome in Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Mark Schlereth, along with my co-host, Mike Evans, Scott the Huff, producing the show. Uh, Millennial Ben helping us out today as well. Love Millennial Ben, uh, pushing a few buttons, getting things rolling for us. Um, really appreciate all you who uh, who listen to this podcast and share this podcast on a week to week basis. Mike, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. I, um, I I was I was hoping for some more fireworks in the Cleveland Pittsburgh rematch, but uh, I guess I'll just have to settle for Freddie Kitchens beep 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 backpedaling about the whole hey you know wearing the Pittsburgh started a t shirt no big deal nothing to see here. That, you know, for me, Mike, that's that's a fireable offense. Fireable, fireable offense. Like I wearing know a that, t-shirt. Yeah, I know that Cleveland. Well, I mean, the, the, your lack of maturity. You're a head freaking coach in the NFL. You're a head coach. Your player has been suspended indefinitely. Who swung the helmet on the opponent's quarterback? Right. You have a lack of maturity from your quarterback, from your receiving core, from your football team in general. And I wonder where that lack of maturity as a football organization and a football team comes when your head coach is wearing a Pittsburgh started at t-shirt. I know it's funny, Mike. That t-shirt's funny. I laughed the first time I saw it. Oh, that's funny, right? I mean, it's cute, right? It's something that fans would wear. You know what it is? It's something that a 22-year-old that lives in his basement of the parents' house wears and gets drunk at a tailgate. That's who wears that shirt. Not your freaking head coach. You wonder why that organization sucks and why they have a lack of maturity? Well, look no further than the head coach right now. I mean, the whole organization in general. But that to me is like if I'm if I own that or if I'm the general manager, I gotta look at that choice at the head coaching position. I'm like I, I gotta I'm gonna I might have to make a change here. You you cannot have that. How how does anybody as a player how do you respect that? That's your head freaking coach wearing a Pittsburgh started at T-shirt. What a dumbass. <laughs> I mean, what a dumbass. And and you know what. You, you counter that with the other side and Pittsburgh. And and here's a team that has lost Ben Roethlisberger, no more Antonio Brown, no more Le'Veon Bell. They're, they're playing with Ducky at, at quarterback, no James Conner. But you know what, Mark? There's And I know that sometimes the whole talk of culture is, is maybe blown out of proportion. But when you have the standard – and the expectations that have existed in that Pittsburgh room for decades, guys just, they understand what is expected of being a Steeler, and there are no 
concessions allowed. And I, I think that here's a team that has no business being the in the playoff mix, but but there they are at seven and five. And I think it's a testament to we do not allow excuses. And and we, and we do not cut corners. This is what we do. This is what we are. And I think that showed up again yeah. when 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 a, a superior team in Cleveland uh, got beat. Yeah, I. You know what's what's interesting, and I've given Mike Tomlin a lot of grief over the years. And let me just let me just stand. I'm like I, I I'll be the first to jump on, you know, to, to jump on the hangar and eat the crow when I think I deserve to eat crow. And I gave him a lot of grief over the years because. You know, not standing up to Antonio Brown and not putting his foot down with some of the situations, whether it's Le'Veon Bell or Antonio Brown or even his quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, right? And, uh, you know, allowing those things to go on because I've always thought you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. But I've got to give props to Mike Tomlin, who has completely won. I, I think it's the organization. They've always been, you know, empower the coach, but I think it was the organization that made Mike Tomlin put up with that garbage. They finally saw the light. They finally got rid of all that garbage. They've had all these injuries. I mean, even, you know, James Conner has missed time. I mean, they've had all kinds of injuries. Duck Hodges is playing quarterback, for crying out loud. And here they sit at 7-5. and five. Has there been anybody in football that's done a better job of managing his football team than Mike Tomlin? I mean, seriously, uh, you could talk about, you know, what Kyle Shanahan has done in San Francisco, and you could talk about what John Harbaugh has done in Baltimore, and you could talk about all those things, right? But my goodness, you if, if Mike Tomlin isn't one of the front runners for Coach of the Year for what he has endured and the fact that they're going to be a playoff team, um, absolutely amazing. You, you talk about the juxtaposition of Mike Tomlin and the way he's handled things, and then, um, you know, the way Freddie Kitchens is handling things in, in Cleveland. I mean, there's a reason that Pittsburgh's fighting for a playoff berth, and there's a reason that everybody's Super Bowl darling, um, you know, looks like a skid mark in a white pair of underpants. <laughs> well, Pitt, Pittsburgh overachieving, but but still looking way up at Baltimore, and every week... Baltimore just seems to to check the boxes, don't they? They they certainly do, and I I will tell you they're in my man in my mind they're the best team in football. They're the number one team in football. And tip of the cap to the 49ers, you know, who took them to the wire and ended up losing a seventeen to twenty game or twenty to seventeen. I know that drives you crazy when I do that. Yes, twenty to seven. Sorry, twenty to seventeen game on a last second field goal, but. I will tell you, the way they have built this team, Mike, has been remarkable. I mean, they're big. Like, their their fullback, Ricard, is 305, right? He also plays defensive line. Their tight ends are all 265, 270. They're all, like, legitimate wide tight ends that will block the snot out of you. They have made and simplified some of the passing game, you know, to make it um, to make it really good for their quarterback and to really marry it to what they do and the way they run the ball. They're the most unique run team in football. They optioned the defensive end and ran lead, quarterback lead with, I think it was Mark Ingram as the, as the, like the lead blocker. It just is stuff that you don't see. It's the most unique running game, the most complex running game in football. And they do it week in and week out. And the other thing they've done, they've created this system for their quarterback and for 
their you know for their football team this unique running system and they've they've accentuated their quarterback's skills and they've minimized some of the things that that you know he's still growing into some of the kind of layered route or flood route concepts they don't run a lot of that stuff um because you know frankly that's not his strength but he's still accurate on the you know, on the shallow crossing stuff with the pick route stuff that they run a ton of, um, all the seams that they – I mean, they they will attack the seams of your football team on a consistent basis off the play action stuff, and they get wide open, whether it's tight ends down the seams or receivers down the seams, and then they run a lot of stuff where it's kind of load action off the play action with, a you know, X drift on the backside where it's one receiver and it's a kind of a slant situation for their quarterback. They, they have done a – tremendous job Greg Roman has done a great job but the other thing that they have done and this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot you know we always talk about complementary football so I just talked about how you know their running game complements their passing game or their passing game complements their running game right vice versa well the way they've structured their defense complements what they do offensively so what I mean by that is that you know, they have done this great job of creating this downhill blitzing football team on the defensive side of the ball because they know that when they get up by seven, you feel like as an offensive coordinator, you're down by 14 because you know a, an average football game that has about 12 or 13 possessions, you're going to get about eight when you play the Ravens because the way they run the ball. So now every position, every possession is like, uh oh, we gotta score in this possession, right? We gotta, we gotta push the ball down the football field, and you're getting a bunch of one on one. Man, they're bringing seven every freaking time. They're gonna hit your quarterback in the mouth, and and so they're the way they call their defense totally complements the way they're running the football and the way they're controlling the time of possession in the clock. So I, I just think it's been a brilliant job by John Harbaugh and his defensive and offensive staffs with Greg Roman being the offense coordinator and Wink Martindale being the defense coordinator. They've done a, a phenomenal job. So so Baltimore, Baltimore beat San Francisco, and, and you you got to feel a little bit for the 49ers. All they've done is, is turn this thing around. They've been one of the great feel-good stories of, right. of this season. They're rolling along, even with a loss at 10-2, and two, and yet – in the span of a little over 24 hours, they go from being the number one seed in the NFC to the fifth seed because Seattle just won't blink. Yeah. What a no. division that is. I, I, it's a great division. You know what's funny about that is I said this uh, several weeks ago on our show in Denver, Mike. I was like to you, I was like, you know, Seattle's going to end up winning this division, right? They're going to come back and they're going to win the division versus the 49ers. Um, now, the 49ers still, they go to Seattle. They lost to Seattle in San Fran, and they go to Seattle. They have a game left in Seattle. So, you know, they still kind of control, like, if they win that game, they're all right. But, yeah, I mean, they're a great football team. That division is great. The Rams are down, but, you know, I mean, Seattle and San Fran and the physical nature of that. And, and, and I will tell you this, even though the Rams blew out, uh, Arizona. Arizona has not been a pushover. Arizona has been a tough out for everybody, even though they haven't won a lot of games. They've played a lot of people close. So, uh, yeah, that division is great. But bottom line is 49ers, you know, and it's going to come down to this, right? The 40, probably that's going to be the 49ers will be a wild card, and they'll probably have to travel to shit-ass Dallas and um, <laughs> and play an 8-8 eight eight Cowboys team, right? 
I mean, think about the it, NFC East and how much. I mean, that's just a, that that is garbage football. You talk about a bunch of teams that don't seem to have it together, man. Between Philly and Dallas, nobody wants to win. I, you know, to think about, I mean, that was the division, man. The NFC East, that was your division. When you were with the Redskins, mm-hmm. the Cowboys, the Eagles, you know, the the Giants. I mean, what a division. Right. And to see what it is fallen upon where you're right, first one to eight probably wins this thing and then gets gifted with a home game. Every once in a while this pops up. Doesn't happen that often, but right. you know, it's like when Seattle, I think, was like seven and nine and got to host yes. a playoff game. And, you know, every year, every offseason, there's something new for uh, everybody to cry about and demand immediate change. And and this will be the one that will probably be the the, the war cry this offseason. Well, we got to change the seedings and the way that, uh, right. you know, teams, if you win the division, you're not automatically guaranteed a home game, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I you know what, which I don't, you know, I've never, whatever. Like, it, it doesn't bother me that you got to go on the road and, you know, go like you should be. You should be thankful you get to go play an eight and eighteen. <laughs> like you're in the play. Hey, we get to play a seven and nine team. Good. You know. I mean, I again win your division. That's what I always say. Win your division. But, um, you know, think about all the morons that picked Dallas to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl, right? I mean, how stupid are those people, Mike? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you've been sitting on that one all day, haven't you? <laughs> Oh, I although, wait. although when I brought it up, you did not yeah. fight me on. It. In fact, you even yeah. said you even said if I if I remember, quote, hmm, you know what? I hadn't thought about that. That actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I uh, was just trying to make you feel better about that uh-huh. pick. Uh, but yeah, because I took New Orleans. But it was funny because we had this, you know, this conversation. But think about it. Like, here's the problem that I've always said that I thought Dallas had. And I think it's reared its ugly head again, right? I think ultimately the biggest issue in Dallas is their owner never empowering their head coach. And this goes all the way back to when they had Jimmy Johnson and they won three world championships and their owner wasn't getting enough shine. He wasn't getting enough credit. He wasn't getting enough talk, right? They weren't talking about him enough on talk radio. They were too busy praising Jimmy Johnson, and it drove – they were college teammates at Arkansas together. And it drove – or not – were they? Yeah, they were, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it drove Jerry Jones crazy that he wasn't getting enough shine. And so, and he dumps his coach, right? He hires Barry Switzer, and they win another championship. And he's like, see, I told you, you know. And, I mean, think about how that's gone down for him. How crazy that is. That, like, you've never empowered a coach. You you wouldn't empower Bill Parcells to run your organization. Bill Parcells you wouldn't empower. So, and I've always said this, and I think the same thing about my former team in the Washington Redskins with Dan Snyder when there is a back staircase to the owner's office when the players can disagree with the coach and go right to the owner and get things changed when the players don't have to listen to the coach because they know ultimately he's not making the decision how are you ever going to be successful 
Like there has got to be like you've got to respect your coach, right? You've got all those things have to happen, right? You've got to respect the coach. You've got to play hard for a coach, and all these different things that have to go. But there's got to be a certain level of fear that you have for your head coach. And I'm not talking about biblical fear. When they talk about the fear of the Lord, they're talking about awesome reverence. You've got to have some of that reverence for your head coach, right? I'm talking about Nick Saban fear, right? Yeah. I'm talking about, like, Mike Shanahan, I I have not – Mike Shanahan is a dear friend. And Mike Shanahan, my head coach in Denver, is a guy that I played my ass off for and I played hurt for. And, Mike, I have a ton of respect for him as a coach and an understanding of what he was and what he is and all those things. But there was a level of fear I had of him knowing that that dude would cut me in a heartbeat if I wasn't performing. In a heartbeat. And he wouldn't think twice about it. And you have to have a level of fear. Do you think anybody's scared of Jason Garrett? No. Hell no. The ginger? No way. If 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 he does something they don't like, you know what they do? They go right over to Jerry. Jerry, this is ridiculous. And you know what Jerry does? Oh, you're I'll take care of it. I'll circumvent that for you. You can't I'm telling you yeah. guys. Doesn't work. You, you cannot win in the NFL when that's the way your organization's structured. Uh and and uh, you know what? That's why that's why I haven't picked Dallas to win Jack in forever. Since since those since those teams that were dominant in the nineties under under Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. I should have I should have known better. I should have known better. So yeah, you can uh Yeah. You can tell me, you know, you you, you told me so, but um Yeah. Okay. Uh I left this till the end only because, you know, you seem like in a good mood. I don't want to bring you uh-huh. down, but I, yeah. I saved this for the end. So it seems like every year we get to this point at some point, and it happened on Sunday night. Tom Brady's performance against the Texans, leaving everybody once again saying, oh, is this the sure sign that he's in serious decline? Yeah. Tom, listen, Tom Brady, you know, Tom Brady, go back to 2015. Go back a couple of years. Tom, Tom Brady has played worse than he's playing right now. He's played worse than this, Mike. Like, I I, I get that we're so used. I, like, we have such a desire in this country to watch Tom Brady fail. <laughs> yeah, like, we it does, isn't we it? It's funny. Wait. Like, we're like, guy's got all the money. He's got all the Super Bowl rings. He's got a supermodel, you know, Victoria's Secret angel wife. You know, he lives in a big house. He's, ah, I hate him. I hate him. Like, like he he's had he's had worse play before. Like, I look at them. There is one guy that that Tom Brady trusts. There is one guy that he believes in. There is one guy in this offense that that he can go to, and that's Julian Edelman. And beyond that, he hasn't developed a rapport or a trust or anything with any other player on that offense. None. So, uh, like, like, you know, and they don't have – they've always had, in my mind, they've always had kind of two threats. And, you know, this is something that T.J. Hushmanzada told me. All, uh, uh, this is about three months ago or two months ago. I'm talking to T.J., and T.J. goes, listen, a great receiver, the Cincinnati Bengals, and – you know, and, and he was really a, a, a 
you know, a great kind of number two to Chad Johnson at the time, right? Back in the in the Bengals kind of heydays offensively. And he goes, as long as you have two, like as long as you have two receiving threats that are that are really good that you have to contend with, he goes, you can dominate defenses. Because they you really can't you know, you really can't double team both of them. Now, you can, but you're in trouble. And then if you get a bunch of that, then what you do is you start putting them on, you know, what they call twins formation. So you get both of your number one and number two guy on the same side of the formation. You don't split them one side of the field. You get them on the same side, and then you start running stack formations and different things because you can't, you can't double team everybody on that one side of the ball. And so, you know, there's there's ways to combat that, but – my thought process is this: with with when they had Edelman and Gronk, or they've always had a couple of guys, um, it's really hard to contend with those guys, right? Because you you can't double team them both, and one guy's controlling the middle of the field, or both guys are controlling the middle, and you're getting one on ones on the outside with other guys. You know, you always, and, and those guys are competent players, and they just don't. It, it feels like they just don't have any offensive continuity because they just don't have enough playmakers on their offense right now. That's what it feels Yeah, and plus there, there's this. I, I think a guy like Brady, you know, he knows he only has so many bullets to fire, and uh-huh. I think he he picks his spots. He plays the, the long game, and I think he understands that, you know what, sometimes we're going to walk into a situation where it is the proverbial hornet's nest, and yep. how much do we really have to, to fight that? And, you know, I look back – you know, you say, well, you know, every year it seems like he has these games. I can go back to week 10 last year. This was, what, week 12 this past week. Week 10. They lose at Tennessee 34-10. to 10. Right. 34-10. to 10. He's 21-41 yeah. of 41 for 254 yards, no touchdowns. And that's when I remember people are like, oh, boy, here we go. And and I told you then at that time, I go, look, you know, well, you know the Patriots, they're, they're playing for January, February. You know, th- this is Tennessee's Super Bowl, you know, and yeah. it's just tough to come out and match that intensity every single week. And you were walking into Houston, a team that had never beaten the Patriots, so they were like 0-7 or something against them, and they ran into a buzzsaw. And, you know, I just don't think that they had what it took to to match up with, with Houston on, the, on that day. But to right. say that, you know, if the two teams met again, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I think you'll see a different Tom Brady. I, I am I'm a hundred percent with you. I like I everybody wants to you know everybody wants to um, bury him you know, and he's like you're throwing dirt on him. He goes wait I'm still alive I haven't died yet. Wait nah nah it's like the it's like what is it Monty Python like bring out your dead. Well I'm not quite dead yet. Yeah you'll be dead any minute. You know I mean that's that's like everybody always wants to bury the guy. He'll be fine. Tom Brady will be fine. And and I guarantee you one thing about Bill Belichick and that coaching staff. They'll find a way to develop somebody here along the way that'll take some pressure off Julian Edelman, and um, and they'll win games. And you know what? At the end of the day, they'll probably be in the AFC Championship game, um, and I think they'll get beat by Baltimore. But <laughs> the bottom line is they'll be there. That's that's what I know about the New England Patriots. Uh, you just can't quit Tom Brady, can you? <sighs> I will never quit Tom Brady. <laughs> I will never quit him. All right, brother. I all appreciate right, you, man. Hey, for everybody involved in the Sink Truth Podcast, we thank you for listening. Uh, share that with all your friends. We appreciate you, and uh, we'll be back with you next week.